0: Plus.
1: Welcome to EarthMinded. Listen for environmental stories and issues that you should know about. This is Ali Wodar, and today I'm talking to James Regulinski from The Carbon Collective, and we're talking about sustainable investing. I think investing in general is a topic that can be hard to learn about, and sustainable investing specifically can be even harder to learn about. You might not know this about me, but I care a lot about setting myself up well for the future, and part of that means investing in a smart way. Unfortunately, a lot of investing means giving money to companies that just don't keep the environment in mind, so personally, it's been hard to find a balance between a good investment for my financial future and a good investment for the world around me. So James runs this company called The Carbon Collective, where they help people find that balance. They help people invest strategically so their money can help fight climate change. I was so excited to talk to him about this because that's something that I'd love to do and I've always had trouble doing it. Now, I want to preface this episode by saying I am not a financial advisor and this is not the only resource you should use before making a big financial decision. I think this information is interesting and useful, but every investment comes with risk associated with it. And I don't want anyone to put money into something without truly understanding that risk and figuring out what makes sense for them. So I'm sharing some resources in the show notes on how to invest responsibly and how to figure out what your risk tolerance is. So check out the show notes if you'd like to learn more about that. Despite all that, I think this is going to be a fun episode. I definitely learned a lot and James has a lot of information on a topic that I've found is hard to learn about. So here we go. Cool. Um. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being here. As sure. I said earlier, I don't know a ton about sustainable investing, but I would really like to know about it. So this is exciting. I get to learn something too.
0: Amazing. Um, it is something I've had to learn a ton about and really excited to share what I have learned.
1: Cool. Um, well, let's go ahead. Can you introduce yourself to start?
0: Absolutely. Um, my name is James Regulinsky. I am one of the co-founders of Carbon Collective, which is an online investment advisor that allows you to divest your money from fossil fuels and reinvest your wealth in climate solutions.
1: That's awesome. So my first question, I think you might have just explained it, but what is your guys' Mission. What do you guys do?
0: Absolutely. So um, maybe it's best if I tell a little bit of backstory about how we got here. But um, Zach and I care a lot about the climate crisis and the solutions thereof. And I was an engineer by training, so I was always looking at technical solutions. But as we dove more and more into it, it became clear that we didn't need technical solutions we needed solutions that we had the technologies we needed. Um, That was pretty clearly laid out by Project Drawdown and a whole bunch of other groups. And it was really a matter of directing our collective will as humankind into creating uh, this alternative vision for the future, as opposed to one where we continue with business as usual. And so if you look at those numbers, it's not new things that haven't been invented. It's we need to invest about $5 trillion every year between now and 2030, if we're going to stay below 1.5 degrees C. And we're not quite there yet. We are not investing. We invest a lot and it's growing, but um, we have a pretty big gap right now. Um, So we at Carbon Collective want to shrink that gap. We want to have everyone have the opportunity to put their money to work building those solutions. And filling that gap so that we can avoid this. And to give you some context, there's about $1. Let's say $5 trillion invested in IRAs and 401ks and pension plans every year in the US. Um, and there's probably not quite sure on this number, but like let's say close to about $15 trillion currently in those um, in those type of retirement accounts. So, redirecting that money towards these solutions um, and investing new money towards these solutions could do a really big part of that, um, filling that gap, which is a very exciting place to be. So we want to be that total wealth solution where people go to and know that their money is being proactively used to help fight climate change.
1: So it's not so much that the, the money isn't there, it's that we're just not putting it in the right places.
0: Right. And there is a long history in the financial world of following what they call the fiduciary responsibility. And so a lot of investment advisors and funds say that you have to be invested in oil because forever everyone said that oil was a good, smart investment and that was the way of the future. You had to invest in that. Um, and so you saw that be part of most portfolios. So, oil companies had a lot of resources at hand um, through a number of different sources. The same is true of banks were backing them, et cetera, because the stories we were telling about these um, companies was that there were good return on investment. They were building a, the, our future. They are a necessary, a necessary part of our economy. So we must invest in them and we must give them good terms on debt, etc. cetera. Um, however, Oil is underperformed from a financial perspective. And in the world where we solve climate change, we fully divested from it. So they'll have a whole bunch of stranded assets, which means they're really just not a smart investment anymore. At least that's part of our thesis. That's a beautiful dog. Sorry. joining the podcast. No I
1: love it. <laughs> Yeah, for everyone who can't see the, the camera, uh, my dog just jumped on the couch. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um,
0: so because it was said to be a smart investment, everyone puts them puts those assets in their portfolios. And so you get, um, and this is true not just in traditional investments, this is true in ESG investments. A lot of people um, think ESG means socially responsible investing. And the reality is, it's a fairly technical term that's used by financial institutions to mitigate risk in their portfolio related to environment. Mental, social, and governance concerns on MSCI, the largest data provider for ESG, they explicitly say this is not a measure of a company's goodness. And so we get we are being told that there is this sustainable alternative, but they are also buying into this old idea, this old trope that investing in fossil fuels and high carbon industries is a necessary thing to do. Where we believe it is necessary for us to be investing in this positive vision of the world.
1: So it's not just avoiding the negative things, it's actively contributing to the positive things.
0: Yeah, so maybe I can just talk briefly about um, a couple of our portfolios to talk about how we sort of think about the, the positive and pressurings. So we have three core tenets, divest, reinvest, and uh, pressure. Um, Divestment is pretty straightforward. A lot of people know it. Let's take resources out of high carbon industries and fossil fuel companies, not just because this has the potential to lower their stock price and thus make them less liquid and less less, um, able to finance further expansion, but also because you then have that money to go and invest in other technologies. So we take that for our core portfolio, which is our broadly diversified portfolio, the kind of portfolio you'd put your, all your retirement savings into. So like similar to a, Vanguard Targeted retirement fund. So we take the portion that would have gone to those high carbon industries, and then we invest it in what we've been calling our climate solutions fund. Um, I think on our website, it's still still called the climate climate index. These are all of the companies that we've identified across the entire stock market. So publicly traded companies that are working on one of the solutions in Project Drawdown, which you mentioned earlier. Um, If they have to be primarily working on one of those solutions, so if they have like mostly they're working on gas turbines and they do a little bit of wind on the side. We're not going to include them because that isn't part of that um, investment. That's not part of actively making that uh, technology a reality. And so you can go to our website and look at every company that's in there, why it's in there, why that sector is in there and how, and even the companies that were working on a technology, but didn't make the cut, why they weren't included That is our proactive investment. These are companies that aren't claiming that they're going to do good things. This isn't Google saying that they're going to reduce their energy consumption and saying that climate change is important, but maybe having a more tepid response. This is companies that are building a technology. What they do as part of their core business is necessary to get us to this transitioned world, to a uh, net zero world.
1: That's a good question. Oh, sorry, my dog again. <laughs> um, Some of these companies aren't guaranteeing a great return on investment, but they can guarantee they're going to be doing good environmental things. How do you find a good balance just as a personal investor? How do you invest sustainably for both your personal finances and for the environment?
0: Yeah, so this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the the notion that there are certain investments that are necessary for good performance of your portfolio. But if you look at the energy... Um, index over the last decade two decades the growth is just underwhelming it is very small so there are some things that are commonly believed that aren't even true if you look at if you look at the uh, stock market without any fossil fuels over that same time period it had really robust growth so not all the growth that we've been seeing is related to um, high carbon activities now i'm not saying that all the companies in the remaining part of the economy after you cut out, say, like we do, the four high carbon emitting emitting sectors, which includes energy, et cetera, uh, which is oil and gas, um, also utilities, industrial materials. Once you pull those out, I'm not saying that all the companies that remain are the paragons of sustainability. However, they are lower carbon companies and they often don't depend on fossil fuels for um, their business being successful, so we can transition to a a better version of our future—one without fossil fuels, where we're removing more CO2, and they can still run their core business. Now, all those companies, as I said before, aren't like perfect companies, and that's where like our portfolio is very thematic. And so, there are some folks who might say that as a result, this isn't as as ethical or as proactive as as you'd like, but. Those comp- that, that whole, that grouping, what we call the low-carbon economy, has performed really strongly. So if what you're trying to do is take a first pass at reducing your environmental harm, particularly around climate change, you can have robust, strong returns without having these incredibly bad actors as a part of your portfolio. Um, so we're sort of challenging the notion that there is a tension between performance and doing the right thing. And the second thing I'd bring up is we have a thesis about the future, in which we strongly believe that we are going to come together and start seriously addressing climate change. We believe it both from a, this is where the trends seem to be taking us, and from a, we don't want to think about, we we can't imagine that world, we can't focus on that world where we fail to do that, because the harm is so great that some of what we're doing becomes irrelevant, if that's the case, so, we have a strong belief that we're going to come together and start seriously addressing that, which means all of those technologies that are making that transition a reality are going to perform really well over the next 30 years. So there's a world in which if you invest sustainably, if you invest in this transition, then you're actually going to do better than the market. Now, of course, we can't promise that. We never would. But it is a deeply held belief within Carbon Collective Mm -hmm. that in a world where we're addressing climate change, this index is doing incredibly well.
1: Talk about divesting from fossil fuels. I think you did talk about this a little bit, but why is it so important for your guys? Why, why is it one of the main things you guys care about?
0: Some folks make the claim, and their theory of change revolves around having a seat at the table with fossil fuel companies and pressuring them to do less harm. However, what we have seen is that there is very little incentive for them to actually make a serious concerted effort to change. And they've put a tremendous amount of resources into trying to disprove that climate change is happening, to try to sow doubt, and have been taking almost no steps. Even when you have company, you have groups like Engine Number no. One getting new board members on ExxonMobil, we do not see sort of a radical shift of the company's direction. We see them still investing in new oil fields and building out new long-term infrastructure. So to us, the idea that you having a seat at the table or taking the, the profits you'd be making from fossil fuels and putting them towards something better is propping up an industry that we essentially can't invest anymore into if we're going to hit our targets. Like right now, um, every modeling shows that we must stop all new investments in fossil fuel Uh, technologies and oil fields, et cetera, if we're going to have a chance of staying under the 1.5. All of the sort of retroactive technologies that would help undo the damage by fossil fuel companies are unproven and from first principles are hard to imagine working. So like carbon sequestration, fossil fuel companies talk about this all the time, but we don't have enough places to put all the gas we're going to burn, all of the fossil fuels we're going to burn. That CO2 doesn't fit anywhere, and we haven't proven that we can keep it there. Um, so it's a massive risk and a massive hedge that we have some unproven technology that's going to get us out of that problem. So if we can't, as a, as a species, be investing any more into fossil fuels, then we as individuals shouldn't be investing our dollars into the companies that their price, baked into the price at which you're paying for it, is the further burning of Uh, new oil and gas fields.
1: I like what you said about oil companies specifically because I know that there are oil companies that have taken steps to do some types of renewable energy, but when you compare it to the amount that they're still drilling oil, it doesn't really seem like, it It seems like greenwashing to me a lot of the times. Um, There's actually
0: a large lawsuit right now in the UK based around Um, BE representing itself as most of its energy, essentially, the way it depicts itself in the market is most of its energy is being produced by renewables, when in reality, such a small fraction is that it's almost trivial. So there is some pushback against that kind of greenwashing, but for the most part, they've been able to get away with sort of representing themselves, getting good PR through a tiny fraction of investment in, in renewable energies or alternative fuels and a lot of marketing dollars.
1: It's Sad to see that too, because there are people that have good intentions that will support companies like that, thinking that they're doing good things for the environment, but they're not. So my next question, this leads in pretty nicely. Um, How can shareholders get companies to take environmental issues more seriously?
0: If we go back to our three core tenets, the one I didn't talk about was pressuring companies. Um, And there are a lot of ways to pressure companies, but it all comes down essentially to reputation. Now, technically speaking, and the mechanism we use um, when we can is called shareholder advocacy. And when you own a share of a company, you get to vote on, on a publicly traded company. You get to vote on certain issues. You can also, if you own enough shares for enough time, you can also bring proposals to the table. So we've seen more and more of this happen where the shareholders will bring a resolution That is like, change your policy, make a plan around around how you're going to get to net zero or tie compensation to um, environmental indicators, which I really like that because there's this massive compensation inflation that's been happening um, in publicly traded companies. It's sort of gone unchecked. Um, And so by tying it to environmental indicators, it sort of forces them to take it more seriously if they're going to engage, um, if they're going to want that, pay raise. So those are the kinds of things that will come up. Um, They're often around reporting, they're often around certain policies, and ultimately they're non-binding. It is really hard to enforce it. Now it does indicate to the company that this is something that is really important. So in companies that have, it tends to work better on companies that are consumer facing. If you're Coca-Cola, Getting bad press around your environmental policies, or having a proxy war—that's what they're sometimes called—where uh, the proxy vote is brought to the table, and they're trying to change something that the shareholders are trying to change something about the company can be either an opportunity for them to do something different, it's like "oh, this is really seriously we sh- serious; we should get ahead of it," or it is a you know potentially really bad press, so it's a loss of revenue. So even in the most like cutthroat capitalist way of viewing how these companies operate, there is there is pain associated with that. Now, we see this really effectively done by groups like As You Sew, which have led the way on these kinds of resolutions. And for a lot of companies, they can talk to them in advance of even bringing the proxy um, issue to the table. So they don't, it's a more expensive, time-consuming process that the company doesn't want to have to do, and the... You know, it might not lead to a good outcome for anyone. So, by having knowing that that is a successful channel that's happened in the past, a lot of these companies will just sit down with groups like As You So and talk about what a more sustainable plan would look like. So, by just being active, you make the threat of of this um, of this ballot initiative more salient for a large company. So they're more likely to have that conversation. When they have that conversation and voluntarily start taking action, we see sort of a, a, a stronger effect. Um, however, this ultimately comes down to why we don't invest in companies based off what they claim. It's really hard to force a company to follow up. So you really have to keep it in the like public's mind. It has to be a threat of loss of revenue or loss of prestige or uh, uh, tarnish of their image. Otherwise, it kind of gets pushed to the back burner. Now, we really sadly saw this happen around the Black Lives Matter movement, where a bunch of companies promised to invest a ton in resources and education to help bridge this gap of access. And then we saw really little follow-through. And so that kind of, we're going to take the good press of talking about what we're doing versus not take the follow-through is is common. And that's ultimately one one of the main ways we see greenwashing occur. Um, So it's a powerful tool, and we should absolutely use it to make sure it stays sharp, and we should be careful about putting too much of our laurels in. This this will make all companies good actors. I still think you need policy. I still think you need investment pressures. I think we need to bring all of the tools we have to bear on the problem together to make change actually occur.
1: I really like that idea because... It's, it's another way that we can use our voices. I haven't personally done that before, so that's definitely something I'm going to have to try.
0: Uh, it's fairly, I mean, any time in which we participate more in a democratic process, I find it very empowering. Um, it can be overwhelming, so like there's some tension there, it takes more time, but I, I highly encourage if you own an individual share of a company, try out exercising your proxy vote. See what the issues are.
1: You talked about this a little bit. What what was the process in creating your climate index, that list of companies that is going to do uh, positive things on the drawdown list?
0: Yeah. So we started with, not to get too technical, but essentially the Russell 2000E, which is pretty much every publicly traded company. Um, and we took that um, all those companies and then we filtered them down by... What was their business activity, and if their business activity included any of the solutions to um, that were listed in Drawdown, and that's fairly comprehensive. But this is things from telepresence to grid infrastructure to uh, water efficiency, um, the circular economy, renewable energies, electric. Transportation, there's a, a diversity of things, agriculture's in there, um, advanced, advanced biofuels, which is different than the traditional corn ethanol, but advanced biofuels, which is necessary for like deep decarbonization of things like airlines. So if they were working on any of those, we considered them. And so that got us from you know 5,000 companies down to about 350 or so maybe more, maybe closer to 400, I have to check our numbers. But once once we have those companies, we then had to figure out, is this company primarily working on this? And is there another reason we might not include them? So we did have some exclusion filters that were just like high level. We don't invest in military weapons. Uh, We don't invest in private prisons. We don't invest in tobacco companies because of their history of misinformation and how it's been used by fossil fuels. Um, So there's like a, a hard exclusion list But mostly we're looking at, do these companies primarily get their revenue from a drawdown solution? And are they, for some of them, we have to be a little more nuanced. So in the case of utilities, the utilities that are pushing the change, and some of them are quite quickly pushing the change, sometimes have legacy fossil fuel plants. So how do you engage with that? Well, this comes down to their track record and what their plan is. So we never believe just the plan. But if they have both a track record of closing down, say, coal plants, and they have a plan by which they're going to close down all of the coal plants they, they have, If they are ahead of state-mandated goals for renewable energy, and they're making over 50% of their energy from carbon-free sources, this is a transitionary company. This company is helping us transition. So it's in flux right now, but us investing more money allows them to more quickly get to this transition. So some of them are quite nuanced like that. Some of them are just a hard money filter. Is it more than X percentage of their revenue comes from the drawdown solution? A lot of companies are what we call pure play, which means they only work on that one technology and that is, is one of the drawdown solutions, in which case they, they generally make it in unless they have, you know, had some uh, report of fraud, for example. Uh, so that, that's, that gets us down to 169 companies, which are the 169 that we have on um, our current list of companies.
1: My last question was, for people that are new to sustainable investing, what's the best way that people can get started?
0: You're talking to someone who didn't find any good ways and so built a company around having a good solution. My first answer, of course, is going to be to go check out Carbon Collective as one of your options. However, if you go to our website, we do we just published, I think we're just launching today, our Ultimate Guide to Sustainable Investing, which has you know probably a novel's worth of, of um, <laughs> writing around ways that you can invest more sustainably, why it's important, um, how you can be effective, what groups are out there doing what, how they all compare. Um, so there are a lot, there are other options besides ours, and ours is not the only theory of change. So we look at some of what those theories of change are, how they can be effective or not effective, who's doing them well. Um, there's a lot of rich information there. So that's one place I would go. Um, that I can I know off the top of my head, because of course, we were working on that for a while. Um, and I would recommend i would recommend doing a little bit of due diligence. So it can be overwhelming, but if you're going to um, look at, say, a mutual fund or an ETF to invest in as a way of investing more sustainably, and you want to maybe do an ESG one, go to fossilfreefunds.org, which is um, a database put together by, as you sell, great organization again, and they look at... they they score and talk about everything that's in that fund and whether it is, you know, as fossil fuels, um, whether it participates in deforestation, weapons, etc. So it looks at a bunch of different factors, but will tell you the carbon intensity of the fund, will tell you um, if there are any problematic companies in it, and you can kind of dig in and see a little bit more. So that's a really good place to get a first pass at a fund that you're looking at. So those two, those two resources would be great places to start.
1: And then I always have to ask this, what is the best way for people to get involved with you guys? Like what's your website, um, social media, that sort of thing?
0: Yeah. Um, our website is carboncollective.co. Yeah, I know, not no M on the end of that. Um, you can, if you're sold and ready to invest with us, you can click sign up on our website. We also have a newsletter you can join. Um, You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I know, crazy, right? We have it all. Um, So we we do have a bunch of ways to to sort of see what we're up to and the articles we're publishing and what we're talking about um, if you just sort of want to follow along with the journey. But all of the information on how to build portfolios like ours is available on our website. We believe transparency is necessary And we'd rather have people investing sustainably than just investing with us. We need every dollar we can at work. So if you don't want to work with us, please still use our resources and go out there and figure out how to to bring your own finances, your own investments in alignment with solving climate change.
1: Thank you so much. And also, I'm definitely going to be checking that out because I got my tax refund recently. So uh, yeah, (laughs) thank you so much for being here. I learned a ton. I agree with you. I don't think there's enough sustainable investing knowledge out there. Um, And I didn't know how to start. So I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me here.
1: And if you'd like to be updated when a new Earthminded episode is out, please make sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting app you use, or you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Earthminded with an extra D at the end. If you'd like to support Earthminded and help make episodes faster and higher quality, there's a link in the show notes to donate. Thank you so much to James Regulinski for sharing his knowledge and being on the show. And of course, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed, I hope you learned something, and I'll catch you next time.